last part of this um, <clears throat> series on victory <clears throat> focuses on Jesus as the conqueror. We started out noting that he's the destroyer, and he's coming. To, and these aren't terms that we usually associate with Jesus. But I want you to understand that the gospel is not just about what, what is often presented, that it's the, the, the meek and mild Jesus who is just going to the cross to die. I know it's so sad and tragic, but at least it wasn't me. That's kind of a, that's a cartoon of the gospel, and it's not the gospel at all. That there's actually something incredible and something uh, uh, wonderful, tragic, yes, but also there's victory happening through the cross, through the death, the burial, the resurrection. And, and, and what is that victory that can be claimed? What has been destroyed? Sin and evil has been destroyed. What has been conquered? Ah, what has been conquered? Well, you, need, you and I need to know that we follow a risen Lord who is a champion. He is a champion over the forces of evil and darkness. And, and, and that message has been carried throughout our culture for thousands of years. And it turns up in our, in our artwork, our Christian artwork and our paintings. And since we have a pretty fair amount of, um, you know, Puritan in us, uh, you know, you, won't, you, don't, you don't see any um, stained glass in here or any, you know, artwork uh, that depicts scenes because we would, you know, we'd rather read Scripture. And, that, and that's good. And, uh, but, you know, there, there, was, there, was a, there was a great tradition of painting the stories of faith because people sometimes couldn't read. And yet some people just have an unusual talent, like a fellow named Hieronymus von Aiken, who lived in the 15th century, and he's known as Hieronymus Bosch. And Hieronymus Bosch point, painted some bizarre paintings of heaven and the, the, the Garden of Eden. And there's always strange things, but he's known mostly for his, you know, you can lower the lights. I don't know if it's going to make it any better. But, uh, I mean, there is some, you've got to look at detail. You take a magnifying glass to it. He's so influential that people are copying him. We don't even know if this is him or one of the people copying him. But there will be these grotesque, strange, disturbing forms. There are demons everywhere. Uh, there's a group of demons down here playing poker, it looks like. I mean, there's no telling what this demon is doing here, spitting stuff up over the... Yeah, there's just some really strange stuff that goes on. But right... And I'm going to zoom in. Right in the middle of it, kind of off to the side, and all of this strange scene of, of hell or limbo or purgatory or... Hades or whatever this is, you see right off to the side Jesus Christ busting down a door and running in, charging in like, like a warrior wielding a sword, but he's wielding a cross. And there's little demons here. Look at this guy. He's falling down. He's dropped his sword and shield. They're rolling a barrel up here. They're trying to hold Jesus back, and they can't. And Jesus, of all places, is busting in to hell with demons failing to hold up the gates. What's it, what's it all about? Where, where, is, where is Hieronymus Bosch getting these ideas? Would you be surprised to know he might be getting some of them from Scripture? Take a look with me at Ephesians 4, 5 through 10. Or if you, or if you, have your, uh, uh, or if you want to just read along on the screen here, that's fine too. But Ephesians 4, verses 5 through 10, 
uh, Paul is, 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 is writing about the view from the cosmos, the view over all the universe and how what God has done in Jesus Christ has changed everything down to the fabric of reality. And yet, at the same time that he's talking about such a grand, mind-blowing scheme of things, he can, he can bring it right down to me and you and what it means for us. So in verse 5, he says, there's one body, there's one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There's, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and in all and living through all. However, he has given each one of us a gift through the generosity of Christ. And that's why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights... He led a crowd of captives, and he gave gifts to his people. Now, that's Psalm 68. That's where this is coming from. Paul wants to comment on it. He says, now, notice that it says, he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to the lower world. In other words, he's saying, what comes down has to go up. there's, There's a... There's an action and a reaction there. He says, the same one who descended is the same one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now, there's some interpretation that has to be done with descended to the lower world. Is he talking about the underworld? Is he talking about limbo or Hades? Is he just talking about the earth as lower than heaven? I don't know. And if you feel strongly about one of those, that's fine. I don't think it matters because either way, Christ is the one who ascended to heaven, descended to earth. At every level of existence, Christ was there. And he conquers all of that territory because of his obedience to God and because of what God does working his power through his son. And so this idea remains from as early on as Ephesians 4. And there's a few other verses where Christ is, is taking over territory that we don't think belongs to him. Here's one of many scenes that, that you would have seen in, uh, in houses and in churches and in religious places. Notice here, I don't know if you notice this, but Here's the door to the, the world of the dead, and Christ is freeing them. And look, you've got a demon flattened under that door. It's like the, the witch in the Wizard of Oz. Just smack, you know, you're down. The demon loses. There's not even a struggle. Just Jesus comes in like an action hero, kicks down the door. That's it. The captives are set free. Some people believe that those were the the, the saints of the Old Testament, the ones that are mentioned in Hebrews. Some people believe that these are just the souls of the imprisoned. Again, the point is Christ conquers the, the, the dominion of death and evil. He takes it over. Here's the same thing, the same idea. I, um, this one, this one uh, makes me kind of happy because for lots of reasons because here's Jesus, of course, he's coming in. Bam, he smashed down the door, this poor little demon. But look at these guys over here. They're like, man, it's a good thing that, you know, uh, 
what's-his-face, you know, got smashed over there. Quick, let's duck out the back exit, you know. They're running. They're running from the cops because Jesus is there. And, uh, and we're going to set all these other folks free. Yeah, I like it. Sometimes we give demons too much credit. We don't under, I mean, you and I are nothing against them. They can hold us in prison, but they can't stand up to Christ. They can't stand up to God's power. Um, we should know that by now. Jesus is busting people out of Hades. And Hades is, you know, we think of it as a, as a sanitized word for hell, but it was, it was really, in, in the Greek world, the, the idea of the realm of the dead, that it was death itself. It's like saying the grim reaper. Uh, it is the underworld. First Peter. This isn't even Paul. This is a different writer. He's got the same idea. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And after being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. That, that, that's what you've seen in these paintings. That's their idea of it. Um, to the who are well, Peter tells you that. that he believes that they are those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark has been being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you. Peter is just moving through images after images. It's disobedient spirits imprisoned in the world of the dead like the ones in the days of Noah Noah the guy that built the ark water saved them they're saved through water just like you're saved through water that's baptism not the removal of dirt from the body but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God it saves you now let's go to the resurrection now it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ you're buried in the water you're brought up out of the water you're symbolically participating in the in the resurrection of Jesus it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who's gone into heaven and is at God's right hand aha see Jesus is raised and then he has a job Jesus is raised and then he has a purpose he doesn't just get back to ordinary life he's exalted he has authority and because he has authority he can go and conquer death He's at God's right hand. Angels, authorities, powers, every other spiritual power, every other entity or concept that exists in our universe, all of it is in submission to Christ. He is at God's right hand. That means there is no intermediary between him and God. They are together. That's why in some of those paintings, sometimes you'll see Jesus and he'll be holding up two fingers. He's not saying, you know, uh, he's not ordering... uh, Two colas or two sodas. He's not just, you know, he's not uh, saying, uh, you know, peace. It's not a peace sign. He's saying to the Father and Son, we're together. I have the authority. And that's why he can do this. That's victory. The idea is also, here he is again. Look at it, boy. The demon really got it in that one. Can you see him? He's just, I I don't even know if these are rocks or gems or the demon's teeth but that he has been knocked out cold and the doors are knocked down and here's Christ freeing these imprisoned spirits and in, and John now you have yet a third writer you've got Paul you've got Peter now John 
And John, this is first century. John is getting this message from the risen, exalted Christ who says, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died. But look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. That key is a symbol of authority. He has taken over the property rights. You know, not every painting that depicts this idea has demons being smashed and, you know, kind of a two-dimensional Jesus with the flag. There's one, and I'm, I'm trying to track down who actually did this painting. If you figure it out for sure, let me know. Jesus is walking with his cross, and he seems to be walking into a dark cavern where there's people in prison. And it's just Jesus walking with his cross, and that light is shining. It's, it's illuminating the area. It's amazing that they can do this with just paint. I mean, they don't need Photoshop or anything like that. I mean, you see the light, the halo that's glowing. And it's just Jesus with his cross proclaiming the truth of the gospel. Christ is carrying his cross, and instead of it becoming shame, it becomes God's glory. Even in the underworld, even in the realm of death, the message of the gospel is a beacon. It is a beacon and a symbol that says there is now a new ruler. Like they say in the westerns, there's a new sheriff in town. There is now a new authority. We are taking over. And nowhere in the universe gets to claim that it is somehow not subject to the rule of God. Oh, there might be places in rebellion to God, but it all now belongs to God because of what he's done through his son, Jesus Christ. That's victory. Christ experiences death just like us, just like we will, and he conquers that death. Now, you know, I, I, I don't know what happened. Uh, I read these texts, and yet, you know, if you're like me, you can read these texts and still, it's like, was there a door somewhere that he busted down? Did he walk with his cross through the underworld? Uh, you know, what exactly happened here? How does it change the fabric of the universe? What, what actually happens here? Well, I don't know. And, and there's a lot of that that we can't understand because... These biblical writers are giving us a view of things that, that are greater than us. And, and they, they, they touch on realities that you and I don't live in. But something did happen. And there are some things that I'd rather not talk about what we don't know. I'd rather talk about what we do know. Because that's where the biblical writers always take us. You'll notice that the Revelation passage, uh, you know, he's using symbols like the key to death and Hades. Uh, is there an actual key? I don't know. No, I don't think so. What if there is? Well, Christ has it. He's got it covered. Um, is this all spiritual? Is it all reality? Yes, it's reality. Spiritual is reality. But here's the thing. The first word he says in that passage is, don't be afraid. Oh, I understand fear. Uh-huh. Well, this reality means you don't have to be afraid. Here's three things that we know. Whatever happened, whatever Christ did... We know this. First of all, Christ conquered death. That's the fact. Three different writers in the Bible 
three similar images, but a little different, using different language. But the point is always the same. Christ conquered death. Now what that means for you and I is we need to stop living our lives as if death is a weapon that we can control. We need to stop living our lives as if death is some sort of attack dog that we can loose on other people. And we need to stop living our lives as if death is something that we need to be terrified of. This week, when my family got that diagnosis, one of the things that you realize is, okay, my mother, my father, my loved ones, they're going to die. If I live long enough, they will die. And I respect death. And because I respect death, I make plans about death, even my own death. We all have to respect death. But we do not have to be afraid of death. Why? Because it belongs to Jesus. It belongs to Jesus. He's got death. Even if you see death for a while, death's not going to get the last word. You know... It's amazing that over in 1 Corinthians 15, and, and uh, we'll probably touch on this tonight in the, uh, in the basic class tonight at 6 p.m. Um, Paul writes a little chant saying, ha ha death, you didn't win. I mean, how can you do that? Is that respecting death? It's respecting death, but it's saying we're not afraid. Why? Because Jesus controls the realm of life and death. He's conquered it. He's in charge. You and I need, need, to stop, need to stop operating in such a way that we think Christ has just got everything taken care of that has to do with after death. That he has somehow booked our passage to heaven. Meanwhile, we just got to get to the airport the right way, you know, and then we'll be okay. He's got the whole journey figured out, all right? And we can stop being afraid of it and we can stop wielding it like it's our weapon to use. It's not. You say, well, I don't ever do that. Oh, yeah? How often do we get angry and say, you know, boy, I tell you what, there's some people in this world I'd just like to, I'd like to kill them and maybe I won't kill them, but I'll give them a real hurting. We're using the powers of violence to get our way. Don't do that. Jesus died on the cross to say, look, violence will not get you your way. A lot of people put him on the cross and they thought, you know what, that's it. We don't have to deal with that anymore. Oh, were they in for a surprise? Yeah. Secondly, this is interesting. Because he conquers death, because he descended to earth, heaven comes down to earth, and because he goes back to heaven exalted, he gives us gifts. This isn't the little gift that you see under the Christmas tree. It's like, oh, I've got a gift. There's something waiting for me. Do you have the spiritual gifts? And, you know, we take tests and try to figure out what our spiritual gifts are. And, you know, and sometimes that can be really disappointing because, you know, everybody wants certain spiritual gifts. And then, uh, you know, you, you, end up, uh, you end up getting one you don't want. It's kind of like drawing for Christmas gifts at the secret Santa party, you know. Somebody gets a really cool video game system and, you know, you get a subscription to the ham of the month club, you know, or something like that. And, uh, you know, and we do those spiritual gift inventories and we end up, you know, it's like, oh, you got service. 
It's like, I wanted, I wanted the power to fly, you know. And so we, uh, and we think that the spiritual gifts are like superpowers. They're not. The same word that's being used for grace is the same word that's being used for gift. And there's words there that are being used, often translated as gift, that, that, that have to do with a grant is a better way to say it, okay? In other words, somebody has bestowed a grant. Now, we think of that as money, all right? Some benevolent group, some benevolent person or benevolent organization has given you a grant, but that's not just money to go out and, you know, spend on a new car or, you know, to go blow at the racetrack or something like that. No, no. You've been given that grant to do something with it. Christ is the authoritative one who his dominance is so absolute that he even rules over the area of death. And because of that, he has given you a grant to do something with it. He has bestowed upon you a gracious gift. And the purpose of it is for building up the body and sharing the gospel. So all that stuff that I started out with today, what I was trying to share with you is a lot of people took those gifts that were given to them. In my family, in this family, with the others that we're talking about, what you're going to hear next week, and they took those gifts and they took those, that grant, and souls are being saved, imprisoned spirits are being set free because of it. All because the conqueror has given us the wonderful privilege of serving him in his name. Think about that. By the way, what that means for us is that when we say, well, I don't have anything to contribute, you know what, next time you tell me that, I'm going to say, you're right, you don't. But God's put something in your spiritual mailbox, and he wants you to do something with it. Now, if you can't, he'll send it to somebody else. But why don't you go ahead and get in on what's going on here? You don't have to have whatever gifts everybody else thinks you're supposed to have. Uh, You just have to use what you've been given. I love the scene when um, that, that moment when Moses is being told to go up against the superpower of his day and age, Egypt. And God is speaking to him, God speaking through this burning bush that is not consumed, glowing. And here's poor Moses, this, this guy who's supposed to be one of God's people, grows up as an Egyptian. Uh, he, he, he murdered someone in Egypt. He's got a record. Uh, he's out hiding, out tending to... Uh, I mean, he's got a father-in-law named Jethro on top of everything else to add insult to injury, and he takes advice from the guy. And, and then, then, you know, and he's, ha- he's herding his goats and sheep and stuff like that, and God says, you, you're the one. You're the one that I want to go talk to Pharaoh, the most unapproachable man on earth, and tell him to do something different. Moses says, uh, why, why am I going to go? What am I going to do? You know, I can't even speak right. I mean, what, what? And uh, he says, how am I going to do this? And God says, what do you got in your hand? A stick. We're going to use it. I mean, he never says, well, yeah, maybe you're right, Moses. First, we're going to have to send you to college. Then you're going to have to take a few Bible courses. Then we're going to take you through the Dale Carnegie course. And then, mm, you see, we'll have to get some people to invest in your cause. And only when that's done, then, can we go and set people free. 
God just says, I want you, you and your stick, let's go. And boy, that stick, that stick becomes, you know, almost a holy relic thereafter. And, you know, don't, don't, don't call it a staff, making, you know, oh, he's got a staff, you know. How many people does he have on his staff? It's not that kind of staff, you know, but, but you, know, he's a, you know, staff makes it sound more, it's a stick, right? He's running around whacking goat and sheep with it, all right, which may be pretty appropriate. But he, um, God is just asking you, what do you have? What do you have? We can use it. We can use it. We can use it to work miracles, gifts. Final thing, whatever happened, however God and Christ conquered death, won this victory, here's what we know for sure, is that even now we have new life. Because of that, and, you know, and the thing is, we can dwell and we can, we can hypothesize, and it's fun sometime wondering exactly how the cross becomes a transaction and how does that actually affect the Hadean realm and how does that affect death and how does that conquer death. You know what? That's above my pay grade. God's got all that figured out. I believe it. You can believe it. We don't have to understand it all to believe it. It's worth talking about. But there's some things we got to know. And one of the things that we know, and this is, is emphasized over and over again in Scripture, is that because of that, you and I have new life. Well, now, doesn't that make sense? Because if he's conquered death, then yeah, life starts to look different at this point. But it's not just new life in the hereafter, like we said earlier. It's new life even now. We've been focusing on seasons. You know, you thought winter was over and then you woke up this morning. <laughs> you, and, but, but winter is symbolic of despair and worry. And in the midst of it, we have hope. Well, in the winters of our life, we have hope. When that diagnosis comes from the physicians, it's not what we wanted. It feels cold. It feels like winter. But we have hope. When, when, when things seem bad, like, uh, like we're not going to be supported or encouraged in what we think is the right thing to do to please God, we still have hope. When we're all alone and we feel like we're in the minority and no one is supporting us to follow Christ and it sometimes feels like it's easier to give in, we have hope. That's new life. Lord willing, in a couple of weeks as we uh, approach you know, the Easter season and, and uh, on, on April 14th, starting in there, we're going to enter into a season that we're calling spring. And spring, we're going to let it represent new life. You know, there's a lot that Scripture has to say about new life. But don't leave this behind. That is, we're talking about new life. That's not just you 2.0. New life is new life that is a grant. It is a gift. It is by the grace of Jesus Christ. And you and I get to experience it because he is the conquering victor, the champion, the one who has destroyed the works of the devil. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you, you've won the battle. You've conquered death. You've conquered sin. And Father, you want to step in and you want to take over that territory within us the same way that you 
proclaimed your majesty and proclaimed your authority over death and over hell. The way that you sent a notice to the evil one that his day is done. And now, Father, we want to turn ourselves over to you. Like those who were baptized this week, Father, I pray if anybody needs to surrender to you through that participation in death and resurrection. If, if any of us need to claim that baptism that we've been through and just turn our, our wills over to you and turn our, our desires, our heart's desires and over to you. If we even need to take the self-condemnation and turn it over to you, Father, I pray that we'll do that. Won't you let your spirit work among us in such a way? Father, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. There's going to be shepherds right up here and back in room 100. Let's stand. Let's encourage one another with this song. And if we can encourage you today, we want to do that.